Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is a special non-numbered bonus episode of the show where we'll be celebrating the announcement of Steamforge Games Resident Evil 3, the board game, and answering your questions about the project before it launches on Kickstarter on April 28th. My name is Syniac, you can just call me Cy, and joining me on the panel this week, it's true that once the wheels of spending all your expendable income on Kickstarter begin to turn, Nothing can stop them. It's Boy Wonder, Adam Russell Reeves. Somehow, I'm still alive. <laughs> no time for talking. If you can believe me, then join us by supporting the RE3 board game. It's Fire Button Steve Valance. Hello. No quips. Our returning <laughs> guest this week. I had no choice. He was about to turn into a zombie. He would have been a threat, so I painted him from Painted Table Ready. It's Michael Burger Time Early. I really feel bad for Todd now. <laughs> the discord memes and finally they're coming get ready pledge pledge it's steamforge games own show in matthews all right guys thanks for having me again okay well always a pleasure it's always fun to do one of these um before we even launch into the proper big old list of questions we've got obviously some background we talked a little bit about our history uh with resident evil 2 the board game obviously showing being a huge part of that game and Resident Evil 3 as well, but uh, uh, the, the podcast wouldn't exist without it. So with the hype of the recent announcement of Resident Evil 3, the board game, uh, we thought we'd celebrate with what will possibly be the first of maybe several of these kinds of extra pieces of content. Uh, so we're going to be going through uh, something like 28 community questions that we've polled from you guys. Um and it's going to be a good time indeed. So again, the Kickstarter is launching on April 28th. You can go and find it now already, kind of uh, pre-follow it, so you can be notified when it goes live, and then as soon as it goes up, scroll through all the goodies. But we're hoping to shed some light on a bunch of different subjects that you guys have asked about. So, starting right at the top, right back at the beginning of the project. Oh. I'll go ahead. So I was just going to say, because a lot of people might be jumping in on this, like if Steamforged are going to kind of amplify it, maybe we want to let Sherwin just tell everybody who he is, so we're not just saying, we're going to answer your questions about <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's so fair. I'm happy to, to jump in, and we should probably leave that in rather than re-recording it. <laughs> if we're for the fans, we can't be too super professional. So, um, so yeah, my name is Sherwin. Um, I have the privilege of being the lead designer for... Resident Evil 2, the board game, and then Resident Evil 3, the board game, which makes 15-year-old me insanely happy. He thinks <laughs> I'm the coolest guy ever. Um, so that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I've, I've basically been doing this for a little while now um, as designer for Steamforge Games. And, um, yeah, it's it's just an awesome time. I basically, a big part of why I love making games the most is that especially on a licensed product, I get to sit there with something like Resident Evil and really break down what makes the game what it is. Like mm -hmm. um, One of the most important things to me, and we talked about this with Resident Evil 2, but when I started working on Resident Evil 3, the most important thing was going, okay, so what makes this game Resident Evil 3 versus another Resident Evil game, and then a bit beyond that, versus another video game? And then kind of it's all about adapting and sort of understanding um, how can you replicate that with different tools on the tabletop and stuff, which is always an interesting challenge. So that's the bit I appreciate the most. 
Nice. That's that's fair. And I think it's, it's really funny because um, <clears throat> speaking uh, of us as a team and the history, like I just mentioned a little bit, for obviously there'll be people uh, listening to this that aren't really aware of First Aid Spray as a podcast. We've been around about a year and six months now. And as I mentioned, we wouldn't be here without the board game. Um, most of us met through that community. Um, uh, Adam and myself and Steve as well as part of that and Michael's our moderator on, on both the board game and the First Aid Spray Discord server now and Sherwin's a part of the First Aid Spray team as well and we all it was all like it's been a weird history to look back on and be like you know to be a part of that even in some small way is exciting to me so I can't imagine how it is to be in the absolute eye of the storm of making both uh, Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 into a board game and the huge success of Resident Evil 2 the board game by the way I'm sure we've said it many times but congratulations on the insane success of that game um, it got over £800,000 on its Kickstarter which was over 530% of its goal. So it, it's been a huge success from the get-go on Kickstarter and then into its retail launch as well. Well, yeah, it's, it's been super cool. I mean, the honest answer that first came to mind when you said, I can't imagine what it's like to be in the eye of the storm. Tiring. Mm. Very tiring <laughs> is the honest answer. Like lots and lots of late nights. But for Resident Evil 2, I actually worked over one Christmas. Um, I literally I stopped for about half an hour on Christmas Day and then kept on going. <laughs> oh, man. It was a very, very long-winded time. But you know what? It's insanely fun. Um, yeah. I'll be the first to admit that I have a lot of fun doing what I do, and I love my job, so it's awesome. Nice. And, um, yeah. Cool. Well, let's keep the excitement up. So let's yeah, yeah. let's talk about the beginning of the brand new project, Resident Evil 3. Uh, do you remember if Capcom approached you guys about Resident Evil 3, or was it the other way around? How did that whole process start? Uh, so originally, um, Resident Evil 2 was something where... Um, so a few a few of your listeners will know uh, Matt Hart, my, uh, my boss, the creative director for Steamforged. Um, he used to work for Capcom. He was a, a project manager for various different uh, various different games, uh, things like Devil May Cry and some other bits and pieces. And um, after he moved on from Capcom and was doing other bits and pieces and was working for us, and after we had, or, you know, was working as part of Steamforged, and we'd done Dark Souls, uh, Guild Ball, and we were sort of batting around different ideas. At some point, he went out with some of his old buddies uh, for drinks, and then he was kind of explaining to them what he did, which is always an interesting conversation for anybody when you say, oh, I make games for a living, and they immediately go, oh, okay, like, what have you worked on? And they immediately go to video games. No one ever goes to board games, which is super <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but um, but he kind of talks to them a little about that. And then at some point, um, I believe, as the story goes, I don't know whether it was Matt or Capcom suggested it, but they kind of landed on this thing and went, how about Resident Evil? And they sort of really started talking about that and how that might look on the tabletop. And yeah, you know, and a few months on from that, enter you know, enter me, and I, I'm sitting there with Matt, and we're talking about different design elements and that sort of stuff. But uh, with regards to Resident Evil Three, um, I mean that kind of naturally followed on, to be honest. Um, after by the time we'd finished doing RE Two, we were already talking to Capcom and saying that we want to make another, you know, we're going to make another RE game, you know, we're going to make RE Three because you guys, you know, we know that you're remaking this. Mm -hmm. um, and Capcom had already told us this, and we were super fired up about it. And at that point, it's like, yeah, let's keep going with it. So I honestly can tell you sort of behind the scenes in terms of whether it's us approaching Capcom or us or them approaching us. To be honest, there was so much hype and so much excitement around it. I'd honestly say that it's almost a mutual thing. Right, working, yeah. with Capcom, working with Capcom, they are by far and away one of my most favorite 
um, licensors to, come, to sort of work with. They are just super helpful, super enthusiastic. They love their games. They are so much fun to work with. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a really nice organic relationship we have with them. Cool, fantastic. So we had spoke about we we recorded an episode about the Resident Evil Two board game where we fielded some questions as well, or show Sai uh, asked you some questions. And one of those questions were the difficulties of converting two into a board game. Mm. Um, so uh, a gent named Colin and Riki um, both asked, what were the difficulties in converting Resident Evil 3 into a board game? And is the pacing, I, I'm assuming the pacing of, of Resident Evil 3 is a lot faster. And how, how was that a challenge? So it's really interesting. Um because one of the things we had for Resident Evil 3 is we already had, we do it much like uh, much like Capcom now have their RE engine. Um, we have our survival horror engine, and a lot of the difficulties we originally had, or a lot of the development time for Resident Evil 2 that we put into it, was really refining that. Yeah, you know, how do reactions work? How do we want corpses to work? How do we want um, you know players to be able to move around the attack what's the pacing how do we make this thing feel quite fluid and quite dynamic but at the same time feel quite structured and feel like it's really accessible for players and it's you know super easy just to pick up and run with and we didn't have that for re3 because we knew we were going to be using the survival horror engine and then making tweaks on based on that for a couple of elements which we may not have been so super happy with or alternatively we thought we could tweak here or there to improve on if i'm entirely honest the, the biggest challenge I think I'd say with Resident Evil 3 is actually the size of the game itself. Um, because one of the th one of the interesting parts about Resident Evil 2 is that it's, it's actually quite a big game in terms of the amount of extra characters you kind of encounter, in terms of the amount of you know, the extra play modes and stuff, in terms of the actual length of the game and how long it takes to play for and everything else like that. The Resident Evil 3 game, by comparison, Resident Evil 3, the video game, for example, and obviously all of this I'm talking about the original, I mean, I think the world speedrun record for that is something like forty minutes, yeah, thirty-nine minutes. Like it's, yeah. it's not a lot. It's not a super long game, and that's fine. I mean, you know, it is what it is, and I, I very much love Resident Evil Three. The you know, I, I love that game, but at the same time, it did present us with some interesting challenges. Of, you know, do we think we can we can ex we can build on this in a way that feels like it's a a successor to Resident Evil Two, as in we've taken the engine and we've done some really cool stuff with it and we've built it up. And also have a whole bunch of sort of crunchy content for players to dig into there. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. And I'm pleased to say, considering that there's more packed into the core box, or there's as much packed into the core box in terms of scenarios and hours of play gameplay for Resident Evil 3 as there is in Resident Evil 2 and the B files. <laughs> um, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about that. I think we achieved it. That's exciting. So our next question then from Ricky Green on Twitter. Uh, the very, very direct and very at all, very easy to answer question. What was your favourite thing about turning Resident Evil 3 into a board game, Sherwin? Huh. Um, yeah, my favourite thing, I'm going to land on um, a silly story I have, which is um, one of the biggest things we wanted to do in Resident Evil 3 is we wanted it to be a campaign game. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to touch on this in some of the articles we have coming out, um, Steamforge stuff, sort of later on in the week, but uh, one of the interesting things that we had is we, we kind of put out a survey um, about, I don't know, it's something I sort of noticed. Everyone, everyone was talking in, Res in the aftermath of Resident Evil 2 about how they wanted to play it. 
And it will come as no surprise to anybody here and anybody listening that one of the one of my most favourite sort of guilty pleasures I normally do is kick around the face the Resident Evil Facebook group just to chat to people and hang out and just generally sort of interact with the community because you're wonderful human beings, quite honestly. And um, you know, you're just super cool to chat to about the game and just about Resident Evil in general. And um and I kept on seeing this thing where everyone said, Oh yeah, we're playing campaign mode. And that was really interesting because we did have a decision point early on in the development of RE2, which was, you know, are we making a campaign game? Are we making a series of standalone scenarios? And I won't necessarily deep dive into the decision making behind what drove that decision. But and obviously we know that we had a campaign mode built into RE2, but it was something where I put out a survey after a while because I kept on seeing this come up. And that was like literally the week I started working on the RE3 game. And I put it out just to find out, sort of, you know, do some groundwork on it. And the results were literally staggering. Like it came back with like only a single digit kind of amount of the community played standalone scenarios. <laughs> Everyone else is playing campaign. And at that point, it kind of, I kind of sat there and went, okay, right. So how does that look? How does that change the way the game works? And, you know, loads of different ideas started flooding through and sort of different ideas about how we could use things like the item chest and how could we use things like exploring. And the big one I kept coming back to is backtracking. And I kept on coming back to this idea of the most Resident Evil thing in the world is kind of going to an area, finding a locked door, and go, right, I need to find a key. Don't know where that is. I'll carry on exploring in a different direction, finding that key, then having to go all the way back across the city to go get, you know, to do what you want to do. And... I couldn't, it wasn't that I couldn't work it out. I kind of knew immediately what the items needed to be. And I was trying to work out a way and how I wanted the scenario structure to work. But I kind of sat there and went, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this in a way that the game doesn't become unplayable. As in, if that key is locked behind its own door, then you can't progress mm-hmm. anywhere with it. And then it can, and then I remember one, I very, you know, I very specifically remember this. One night I went to bed, I was thinking about it, I was writing my notepad, couldn't work it out, went to bed, and I woke up at two in the morning and went, that's it, got it. And then literally spent half an hour kind of just sketching out boxes on that notepad and different ideas of these different things, literally complete brain dump in terms of just like putting, oh yeah, do this and this and this, and that's how that looks. Yeah, get up, turn the machine on, start sitting there typing away, kind of coming up with different things, and then sat there afterwards and went, and that's it. And I, at that point, I realized I'd become that meme of the crazy guy of all the pictures all over the walls everywhere, kind of pointing at stuff. <laughs> and kind of going, ah, oh, this one, this is how we do it. And then <laughs> I had to then wait until like half eight, nine o'clock the next morning to tell everybody I'd achieved this. I couldn't get back to sleep. And I was, I was genuinely at one point thinking, I remember the night of Resident Evil, we announced Resident Evil 2, the board game, which was just when I was supposed to be flying out to Gen Con, and Matt kind of said, Oh, sure. And by the way, can you write me some random copy for the website? And like, I know you should be sleeping, so you've got to be at the airport in about six hours, but can you do this thing for me? Could I do this to you in revenge? Could I fire you a thing? I've got this crack, like wake him up at two in the morning. I'm like, I've got this thing. It's not very important, and you won't care, but I just want to torment you with it. um... You had uh, mentioned creating the survival horror engine for the game. Uh, Have there been any refinements you made to that system when adapting Resident Evil 3 uh, compared to Resident Evil 2? And that question comes from Brian Sharkey on our Facebook group. So there's loads. Uh, There's loads and loads of stuff that we've layered onto it and built onto it, as you can imagine. We've kind of really expanded it. And the best way to think about it is... Much in the same sense as if you look at like the original Resident Evil game, 
and then you kind of look at the progression that Resident Evil 2 had and the progression that Resident Evil 3 had and then you know kind of going up from there there's always extra complexity and bits and pieces you drop into it and layer in as you go but um I think the most obvious thing that will i mean the really really obvious one that sticks in my mind that isn't a completely new function or a completely new feature is how we revised the way that special attacks worked Mm -hmm. so for listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with resident evil 2 uh special attacks in resident evil 2 represented stuff like the suicide dive where the zombie kind of uh, the really obvious example of resident evil 2 is where a zombie would suddenly sort of trip and fall over you and grab hold of your legs uh, and bite you and it's effectively like a just a lunge attack that automatically hits but then afterwards, Leon or Claire just kick its head off down the corridor kind of thing. And that really spawned the idea for what we wanted to do with um, what we really wanted to do with how to do special attacks. We wanted that to be in the game. And we had a tension card, which you drew, and it immediately said, you know, a model within range does a special attack. And it literally is like an out-of-sequence attack that it just suddenly performs and that's it. But what we immediately then realized was is, to a certain extent, it made rare attacks quite rare, which is cool. Um, but it also felt slightly clunky. It wasn't the most intuitive thing. And it kind of felt, sometimes it was an out-of-sequence reaction that players couldn't sort of adapt to or weren't prepared for. So that kind of worked. But other times it just felt a bit flat because a lot of the time there was just wasn't any zombies around or whatever else. So that's one thing we definitely wanted to revise um, when we actually came to the engine. And again, much like um, much like I was talking about the idea for how to expand on um, on some of the sort of backtracking stuff, um, this was something where I remember I was driving to my local games club and I'd spent most of the day trying to work it out. And I was kind of landing on this point of thinking, hey, it'd be really cool if we could have behavior decks for all of our for all of our enemies. Because even though something like a zombie literally just has it grabs you and it bites you, the zombies in RE3, sometimes they break into a sprint and they run a little bit further. Sometimes they literally bite you. But then I started thinking about things like... Um, like the drain Dimos, where it sort of you know it has different things where it can stand up and do its crazy kind of waddle attack where it's waving its arms around like a lunatic or it can pounce and try and grab you or even it can just literally swipe on the floor and these are all different animations and different types of attacks they have and i was kind of thinking he almost wants a behavior deck but i really don't want to start introducing different behavior decks for lots of different creatures because that's just a nightmare waiting to happen and i think where we eventually landed on well where i eventually landed on was this idea of let's Let's almost build in a behavior deck that doesn't need a behavior deck to control it. And by that, we have a series of different attacks on each enemy card. There's always a basic attack. So if an enemy you know, doesn't have any special attacks and the card, is, and the card matching it, so it says it would do a special attack and it hasn't got one, it will just do its basic attack instead. Mm-hmm. But some enemies have multiple different attacks. And depending on what color border there is on the current tension deck card that dictates what type of attack it does so we now have multi-layered attacks from basic enemies and that's awesome so that effectively replaces special attacks so sometimes that um for example that drain dimos is going to suddenly lunge at you and dive across the room and try to attack you other times the drain dimos is just going to swipe its claw at you um sometimes the zombie dog is just going to bite you if you're nearby and sometimes it's going to jump through the uh, jump over the top of the fire and then come and grow and rip your throat out and it also meant we could layer in interesting ideas for some of the other enemies which i'm not going to get into but it means that we could really build in quite a lot of variance in terms of how they work and keep players on their toes and it's another thing even on the green tension deck cards that you're looking at these things going oh, i'm not happy about that <laughs> 
Yeah, that's very exciting because it means that you're never in the situation where you're like, well, I know the what the zombies do, so I'm not worried about right. my you next turn. Whereas it depends on what card comes out. Suddenly the zombie's like half running across the board at you. Right, and it also gives a degree of meaningful decision point as well because the players... Do the you know players can see that happening, and it's mm -hmm. still fluid enough that different bits happen. But they can, but there is a point where they're like, yeah, I really don't want to go in there while that you know that card is facing the top of the right. deck. Right. Yeah. That's so exciting. I really don't want that. That's like say player one will uh, draw their attention card at the end of the turn, mm. and then the next player can see what is going to happen. You know, um, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's sort thanks, of player one. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, you know, it, it, because it's on the tension deck, even more appropriately named than ever now, because uh, that is adding more depth of tension. Um, well, there's other changes to the tension deck we're not necessarily got into with that, but yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> honestly, that's that's the uh, that's the answer I'll come up with, which I think is the biggest fundamental shift mm -hmm. to the way that that actually works. That's nice. super exciting. Okay. Um, well, getting back to the creation of the game. Um, and we talked about the success uh, of Resident Evil 2, the board game. Did you find that Capcom gave you more creative freedom this time around as opposed to creating uh, Resident Evil 2? Or, or, or was it always just kind of on a, on a loose leash or, or what? What was the situation like there? Uh, I mean, Capcom are just, I mean, they're just awesome guys. They are much the same as before. We sat down with them uh, for Resident Evil 2 um, and we kind of spitballed some ideas around beforehand and said, you know, we think we'd like to try this and this and this. And they went, okay, well, that sounds cool. You know, come back to us with a demo. And we sort of sat down with them. And um, I remember specifically sitting down in Capcom, at Capcom Europe in one of the offices and kind of meeting some of the people who were working there and said, so this is the game I built. And uh, Matt, of course, being the true rock star that he is, immediately walked in the building, is shaking hands and kind of giving out cigars and being, you know, <laughs> going up, making, you know, making different acquaintances. So I'm kind of sitting there in the office going, well, I'll just demo the game, shall I? Thanks, Matt. So off he goes. <laughs> and then I kind of sat down and I played it for like 15 minutes with like the, uh, with like um, Capcom's um, brand, man sort of brand manager for Resident Evil in Capcom Europe. And I sat there and played with the guy and he's like, yes, he's great. Let's do it. And literally that, it's awesome. just a very straightforward thing. And for Resident Evil 3, um, I'd actually say it was even perhaps even slightly easier than that in the sense mm -hmm. that there was a very much a degree of trust. I think Capcom yeah. looked at us and went, yeah, you guys know what you're doing. You know Resident Evil. Like, you really know Resident Evil. So, I mean, I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I definitely got that sense. And it was very much something where we kind of put forward a thing. I said, hey, look, I want to try this. And I've got these ideas about how to make this work this way and this way and this way. And I think the actual response from Capcom was, well, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. And so, that that's a, so at that point, we're like, yeah, cool. Let's go and do that, guys. And um, yeah. Yeah, another pinch yourself moment, right? Uh, insane amounts. Like, <laughs> really, really. When you're sitting there in kind of Capcom Europe and I'm going, how am I here again? Like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. But um, yeah. So um, getting into the, uh, the game itself, um, who would you think your current most favorite playable character is? Trap question this. It's a very, very big <laughs> trap question. <laughs> My most favorite character in all of Resident Evil history is in this game, without any shade of doubt whatsoever. Brad Vickers. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but... My most favourite character, for the purposes of what I'm going to answer at the moment, is Mikhail. Nice, Mikhail Victor. I love that guy. That's he's, why um, I gave you the intro. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> just, he's, he's just 
awesome. He really is. Like he's just like the really like as soon as you meet Mikhail, he's kind of like he's obviously the stand-up guy who's just there going, yeah, he's probably not going to make it, but what a guy. Mm-hmm. I think my one of my earliest memories of RE3 is seeing someone playing it and watching Mikhail kick the barrel down the uh, down the sort of uh, alley and then blowing it out from a distance and killing all the zombies coming towards him and stuff. That was awesome. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of favorites, then, what is your current favorite model from the game? Oh, that's a good question. I do like those Nemesis models, <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? My favorite model uh, I've got to go with. And I can't say otherwise. Is the Stars uniform Jill? Yes. Um, that, is a oh. that thing's a few thing of beauty. It really, really is. I, I love that model so much. If for me, that perfectly encapsulates Resident Evil. It really does. Mm. Um, and there's so much. We did so much, like um, in terms of the sort of design of these things. What we watched the way that Jill moves around, for example, um, in Resident Evil One, to kind of get a sense for how she actually runs and stuff like that. Um, lots of things about kind of character frame animations, that sort of stuff. Because we knew that model had to be really just perfect, mm-hmm. um, because that's you know it's a really iconic image from Resident Evil history. And as that's the very first character I ever played in any Resident Evil game whatsoever, way back in the day, it has to be that one. Nice. Uh, that uh, city map that comes uh, it's going to come in the new Kickstarter looks really exciting could you walk us through how it works for the campaign oh there's that's an article that's yet to come out later this week so <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give I'll give, a, I'll give a spoiler I don't want to get into it too much but the idea of Resident well maybe a couple so the idea of the game is is that you have to explore the city it's not scenario structure isn't linear the same way as it is in Resident Evil 2. Effectively, the Raccoon City, Raccoon City is an open world. You can go where you want. You can explore in whatever order and whatever direction you want to go in, but you are going to have to explore. You start out in a very specific area, and I'll use the example from the articles. This won't be a terribly massive surprise for people, but if you're exploring, for example, I believe it's Uptown, if you're going to explore the Uptown that you start off in to start with, Actually, no, it's commercial district. If you're exploring the commercial district, at some point, you will find the RPD building. But you can't get in there until you've found the precinct key, which unlocks it. So at that point, you're now going to have to go to somewhere else and then basically go find the precinct key then battle your way back through the commercial district to then go and unlock the actual RPD building so you can go inside and start exploring. Um, and effectively, the city dashboard, which is what you're talking about, enables you to track what scenarios you can access, which ones are locked, which ones are unlocked, and which ones you've completed. I just heard I'm getting so hot. I'm getting so high. <laughs> yeah, I just heard people <laughs> in the future after we record this cheering with excitement. That is <laughs> so cool. Uh-huh. So right, I think so. Speaking <laughs> of changes, let's not dwell too much because I don't want you to spoil the whole game, and I know <laughs> that could very well happen. Um, how will uh, Resident Evil 3's live selections be worked into the game, and will the board game, like the video game, contain multiple endings? That comes from the man of many questions himself, Brian Sharkey, and also Mike Martin. So uh, I'm not going to worry too much about um, sort of talking about how they actually manifest themselves, although everyone has seen like a deck that has a narrative, like a reverse Polaroid image on the back of it, of Nemesis. So I think that's probably got something to do with how we put in the decision points in this. Um, but I have already said this um, on when our painting stream, 
Resident Evil 3 the board game has multiple endings. Nice. So, so depending on what you're doing and how well you play it, you will get different endings. And I do promise you there is going to be at least one of these things where you're going to be playing it and then you have a little bit of a cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's multiple points you're going to get to these things where they are going to, there's a couple of points where you're going to be asked to make a very hard decision. And that very hard decision is probably going to mean that one of your characters that you really, really love isn't going to make it. Oh, at man. least one. <laughs> it sounds like you're building something with so much replayability into it, mm-hmm. the ability to kind of uh, go I'm around the city as you please. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. The best, most exciting thing for me about the narrative cards, um, and again, a little bit spoiler-tastic, is when we actually made them, I realized... Because originally the engine for where they came from was me thinking about how to put cutscenes into RE2. <laughs> and um, I was thinking about how do we introduce cutscenes? How do we make it so that it feels concise and snappy but doesn't delay gameplay too much? And that kind of evolved into the system we use for RE3. But when I actually really, when I sat back and looked at it afterwards, I realized effectively what we've done is we've made a game which has a series of cutscenes, but you don't necessarily, you aren't going to see them all. You're going to see <laughs> some of the cutscenes, but not all of them. So it, it really is like a ran, it's almost like an RNG kind that of, sometimes you're going to see a cut. Let's take a point. Let's say you see, um, you might find like a, a survivor kind of like slumped against the wall, kind of bleeding out a little bit, who kind of warns you, oh, don't go this way. There's a whole horde of zombies behind that barricade or whatever. Like, you know, this is a thing. Don't go this way. In your first playthrough through the campaign, you may well find that character. Later on, you may not do. And, uh, and you know, you, in your next playthrough, that character just may not be there. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you may play through and next time you meet him, actually, you can save them and they can join you as a survivor. <laughs> very cool. We're all getting very excited. Yeah. So now on to, now on to a more science-based question. How will gunpowder work? Uh, that's from, <laughs> that's from Quote the Robot. And I don't think he's asking how actual gunpowder works, but more how will gunpowder work in the board game? That's good because I have no idea the science behind how gunpowder actually works. I think the um, Chinese gun- invented it. Yeah, absolutely they did. I can tell you that much. And then made fireworks. Um, but in terms of in terms of gunpowder in the game, it was a re- that's a really interesting question, one we sort of fought a bit of time about, because our original build for it had it that it was almost like an ammunition item that you found but couldn't use, um, and you had to find another gunpowder in order to combine it. And the honest answer came, became after a time that gunpowder was a bit crap. Like, you used to find it, it was a throwaway item, you didn't really care, you chucked it in the iron box, and if you were lucky enough to find another one, oh, okay, cool, we'll put them together and we'll do it. Hmm. Um, so what we landed at, and, and because the ship, well, actually the other thing to add to that is the sheer bewildering amounts of different combinations of how you could put the gunpowder together meant that the actual item card was so full of text it was just completely unwieldy. And we felt we need to really reduce that down. Where we landed at was gunpowder is like a soft ammunition iron, which you can use on its own as an individual thing. So if you find gunpowder A, you can pretty much grab that and you can use it on its own and you get a very minimal amount of bullets out of it. Or if you do find another piece of gun, another gunpowder, you can combine the pair of them and get a really good result. And that actually is better than finding the raw handgun bullets in this particular example, because it will give you more ammunition than what handgun bullets item would do. Because effectively, you found two things, held onto it, and your reward is well, it's worth hanging onto, especially if you've got a character like Carlos who gets extra ammunition from using handgun bullet items. He's super efficient at using those low sort of you know finding a single handgun ammunition. Uh, sorry, finding a single gunpowder ammunition item and go yeah what for me this actually is pretty good not so much for everybody else nice 
what I love about that, and some of you guys will know that I played um, RE2, the board game, in a group of four. Um, and sometimes, in the best way possible, it slowed down a little bit because we were having a four-way discussion on what the best mm. kind of tactics to go with and who was best to carry this and what was the best way to use this item. So to introduce something that e like widens that even more is really exciting. Hmm. So... Will any of the classic Resident Evil weapons be reworked or will they match their RE2 versions? I.e., will the shotgun, magnum, etc., work the same in RE3 as they did in RE2? Asks Eric Malcolm on Facebook. Cool. Uh, well, uh, those of you guys who've been looking at our dice have noticed there's a couple, well, there's a new symbol um, <laughs> on the red dice. Um, so we've changed around a little bit. We've, we've, we've changed some of them. I mean, ultimately, the Magnum is still the Magnum, right? So it's still going to do very much similar sort of amounts of damage. I can confirm here that the handgun is exactly the same because we were all really happy of how the handgun worked out. Um, but, and knife is much the same again. But there's other few bits and pieces we tweaked here and there. Um, so, and I can't honestly remember the name of whether we called it Burst or Blast. I think we went with Blast in Resident Evil 2 in the end. Because I know we, we, we bounced around between the two. I think um, it's Blast, interchangeably. yeah. I think it's Blast. Uh, Blast Raw has been completely reworked. Uh, Blast now affects, if you roll it, um, Blast is like something that happens on a certain result on the dice. And if you get that result, then basically um, you just apply the effects to everything in the same square. Oh, okay. Because that was one of the, that's, a, that's one of the other sort of little tweaks we used to have, where we used to get that question come up quite a lot with people saying, so how do I use this with the bow gun? Hmm. Like, how does that work? And then you're like, you know what? For the sake of balance issues, it feels cool when you just take a massive headshot and kill a whole bunch of zombies. <laughs> when you get that right? crit crit result, let's basically, just, let's, yeah. let's just do that. So oh, we yeah. kind of put it in. So we've kind of put those ideas in. So there's a few subtle tweaks here and there to that, and obviously something like um, the grenade launcher will have some interesting tweaks to it because there's some stuff that it does there that it doesn't do in RE2. Mm -hmm. So yes, yes and no is the answer. Fair enough. <clears throat> Uh, the Resident Evil 2 board game covered every location, character, and enemy from the source material. Are we getting the same thing again? What areas can we expect to see in Resident Evil 3, the board game? Asks Markin Martin Aliker on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there yes, it is. It yes, it will. So you can expect to see uh, streets. You can expect to see building interiors. You can expect to see... Uh, Hospital, park, dead factory. I'm trying to think of different locations now that off the top of it. Uh, RPD. Um, so yeah, you've got various different things built in. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously. Oh, the clock, basic... oh clock tower. How clock, I tower, the clock that's tower? That's the one. <laughs> well, somebody forgot the clock tower. Whoever remade the. the... <laughs> oh, oh, so... no. oh. <laughs> oh. <Just> fired. <laughs> So the very basic tenets of RE3, the board game, are the same as RE2. So if you played the first game, you'll be able to pick up RE3 very easily, as well if you're uh, uh, new to the series as well, I assume it's going to work very much in the same way that it's going to teach you the rules organically as you go. Uh, if you are a previous player, though, will your characters from Resident Evil 2 be able to be imported into Resident Evil 3? This question came from a lot of people, but I'm attributing it to Colin from Discord first. Okay, that's a fair one. So RE3, I mean, one thing that Capcom have always wanted us to do is keep the... Capcom like their games to feel distinct um, mm -hmm. from experience. They, they want... 
yeah, Resident Evil 2, for example, for the Kickstarter, Capcom asked us very specifically to say, you know what, we're not going to expand on this. We're not going to put in, like, you know, for example, different members of who didn't, different characters who didn't appear in the original Resident Evil 2 game. And this one is no different in the sense they said, you know what, we want, you know, you, we'd like you to focus on Resident Evil 3 for this game. Like, don't try to add in kind of, you know, for example, Chris Redfield. He doesn't appear in Resident Evil 3. He hasn't really got a place in this. And we we very, very, very respectful of that and obviously completely understand, you know, the point of keeping the game exactly where it should be and not trying to expand it outwards and do other things possible. That said, um, obviously the core survival horror engine certainly works, uh, well, certainly based around what happens in RE2. Uh, you know, for example, moving is the same. Uh, there are a few different, there are a few extra bits and pieces you can do, but moving is the same. Kind of enemy reactions are the same. The tension tech, by and large, is the same. Um, and there's lots of different. So, if you wanted to take Leon or Claire, I mean, whilst I'm not going to say, yeah, sure, she can, you, you know, they're completely cross compatible with Resident Evil 3, but. I'm not sure it would take too much effort to fudge them in there if you wanted to. Purely, strictly, from a completely unendorsed, I don't recommend you do that in any way, shape, or form, uh, perspective. <laughs> wink, wink, yeah. Um, so a lot of people um, have asked this question as well, but we're going to attribute it to Eric Malcolm from Facebook, um, and that is people wanting the um, main hall of the RPD in tile form. Is there any chance that we'll be seeing this or any other big locations? Yep. <laughs> Next. Yay. <laughs> yep. There's no way of saying that. Yes, you will. Having seen the artwork, it's amazing. Awesome. Oh, very exciting. Uh, uh, the, only, the only downside to it is it doesn't have a button I could push that makes that iconic music play out. Not yet. <laughs> I'm be... If I could do that, trust me, I would. Every time you took it out of the box, it just started playing. But um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't do that one. But yes, there is a piece of artwork for the RPD main hall. Nice. Our next question from Facebook. Then. Uh, Jamie Bodchan asks, I would love to see a complete RE2 tile set replacement was all of the RE2, the board game expansions. Would this be a possible add-on? So we have the, um, the RE... So basically for this game, we, we know that we had... I mean, tiles are a sensitive subject. I've talked about this a little bit in the past um, with various different members of the community. And it's not something that I particularly want to shy away from, um, if I'm entirely honest. So we knew that tiles were a sensitive subject. There was a very important thing that, um, you know, it's something that we knew that we had to talk to the community about. We knew that the community had some concerns about it, and that's fine. Like, you know, obviously, one of the things we always like doing is listening to our audience and listening to our community and hearing what they have to say, because obviously opinions are valid and certainly concerns, you know, even if we sort of can listen to them and go, well, actually, we can help you explain, you know, the decision-making process behind this or whatever else. One of the things that one of the design philosophies that very much went into what the Resident Evil 2 um, artwork was, was this idea when we we're breaking down the core DNA of how a Resident Evil game works. Um, this idea of if you look at the uh, if you look at like an RE game, a lot of it is in quite dark areas, and you almost find your character running between oases of light, and you know really not wanting to stick around in the dark, shadowy areas in case there's something in there waiting for you. And I can point to very specific instances of lots of different RE games. Most most recently, RE2 Remake, really, really good for that. And that's something we definitely wanted to replicate on the actual tabletop. 
Now, I'll happily be the first to admit that when we actually made them, and we were really happy with how the artwork looks and everything else, but when, you know, tabletop gamers have a different expectation for how their tiles want to look, and it was a philosophy which, for some, was quite jarring. So when it actually came to us making, you know, Resident Evil 3, we kind of went, well, you know what, let's push the tiles in a different direction. Let's make them quite bright. Not super bright or over bright, but let's make them you know, really feel very vibrant, really feel like they jump out. And almost the philosophy became, well, if we shine a lot of light on these tiles, we can still have shadowy areas, but what we can also do is show the sheer devastation and the horror that way. We can show, like, the nightmare that Raccoon City has become with loads of shards of broken glass and bullet casings and kind of, you know, blood splats everywhere, that sort of thing, and really build on that. And that kind of helps you sustain this sort of sense of terror just as much as having sort of super, you know, sort of dark, shadowy areas. Um, so one of the things we wanted to do very much was, but we didn't want to forget the fact that we knew there were some concerns about this. And one of the things that we thought would be awesome was be to create a new set of tiles, which would be made for, you know, Resident Evil 3, although they could be because we use a lot of the same engines. You could use them in Resident Evil 2 if you wanted to. Um, and we called these the Raccoon City Kickstarter tiles. They're something which, if you're a returning Resident Evil 2 backer, as a special thank you from us, to um to the backers you actually get these for free if you're not then you can add them onto your pledge and i honestly don't i honestly don't know the uh, the price of those because that's something the production team does a lot with but i do know that they will not break the bank they are not a terribly expensive item to add in so if you wanted to get extras for example then go nuts or alternatively if you want to get them they're not going to suddenly cost you the earth but these are really intended to be something which kind of gives you more variation with your tiles more kind of you know, shuffle them in to kind of give you some new locations to give you some sort of you know some interesting um bits to vary up how your terrain how, you know how your terrain and how your board state looks when you're playing resident evil 3 this is really what the intention was so we won't be going back to do lots of stuff from resident evil 2 purely again landing back at what i previously said capcom specifically don't really like us to mix and match between different games it would feel slightly um cross purposes if we were going to make uh, a Resident Evil 2, yeah, we're going to make a Resident Evil 3 game, but some of the add-ons are for Resident Evil 2 locations, if that makes sense. Sure. There wouldn't really be a purpose for adding the lab in there, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Mike Martin from Facebook uh, wants to know if the encounter tiles will be present as an add-on. He noticed that in one of the Kickstarter images, there are red and orange zigzag tiles uh, that it pres- he presumes to be markings for the table. He'd love to get mm-hmm. an extra set. Uh, interestingly, so that's a really interesting question. They are already, obviously, there's plenty in the actual core game itself. Um, what I might suggest that we do, and that's a really good point that kind of makes me think about it, we might throw some of those uh, onto the, um, if people do want extras, we might put some of those onto the uh, Raccoon City Kickstarter tiles. Uh, so that way there can be some on there. So that'll nice. give us some extras. I wouldn't, necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily want to make them a set their own separate add-on. But I know we have some space on that tile sheet, so um, that could be a good place to put them. Excellent. So, so thank you, thank you. Yeah, first community, ma- first community <laughs> request of the campaign. Tick that box. <laughs> Magic <laughs> achievement unlocked. Yeah. So uh, Dam Sue, I hope I'm saying that right, from Facebook asks: um, Will there be more expansions that feature things like Stage Three Nemesis or the Grave Digger that we didn't see in the spill image for the core game box? Bonus points for use of the term spill image. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, I think that we. Uh, I think that there's certainly something that people will have seen by now out there. Uh-huh. 
I'm taking those bonus points, by the way. I rephrased his question to use that. <laughs> so I'm happy now. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Those are mine. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, a fair few people have asked, given the... Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase this question a little bit. This question specifically asks about the Jill from the remake. Um, so mm -hmm. the alternate costume or the standard costume in the remake. Um, will we be seeing anything like that? I think a lot of people are asking about Carlos as well because it's of the general opinion that his new image is preferred over his old one. Um, will we be seeing any, <laughs> any kind of uh, remake uh, stuff in here? Uh, none, none at all. This is based purely on the original Resident Evil Nemesis game. Uh, however, um, for helpful tips, if you want to make Carlos look like new Carlos, uh, you can do it fairly effectively. There's this substance called green stuff, which is modeling pussy. Uh, just literally blob that on the head and then just literally stab at it with kind of like a cocktail stick until eventually you end up with Carlos's hair. Or you could use a bit of a private. I was going to say, cut out a small piece of Brillo pad. Yeah, that also works. You know, kind of, and just stick that haphazardly to the top of the yeah. shelf. Yeah, that, that also works. Um, so the, fortu fortuitously, there are many ways to achieve new Carlos's hair uh, <laughs> using the old Carlos model. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, dear. I'm crying. Uh, <coughs> All right. All right. So Joe Addis Jr. on Facebook. Is there any way we can get a box of RPD officers or UBCS members? It'd be nice to try and do house rules with other minis that fit perfectly within the Resident Evil universe. Or even if they'd be interested in either making civilians or dead bodies as they can scatter around the terrain. Uh, well, I mean, dead bodies scattered around the terrain um, is so a that's thing. it. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, in terms of... So he can have an interesting story, actually, and this one is a complete and total exclusive. So, um, and it's not necessarily spoiler-tastic. So something we originally talked about with Capcom early on was doing expansion and an expansion for this game called The Beginning of the End. And uh, we didn't, and, and in, in essence, in um, interest of full disclosure, we, this is not an expansion that we went ahead with, I should stress. But... Um, it was called the beginning of the end, and basically it was uh, it had two effective mini campaigns um, in it. The first one was built around the fall of the RPD building, and in it you would play. You'd have four different RPD officer characters, you know, unnamed ca characters, basically characters like David Ford, for example, or Elliot Edwards, or whoever else. And the idea being that you would you basically get to play as the characters and replay scenarios based on the events you read in diaries in the RPD building. <laughs> um, and you kind of would get to do like little mini campaigns. And we almost thought actually what we could do is build those in as like an instance that happens during the actual main gameplay, You're like a flashback of the actual RE3 board game. So you'd be playing through and then you might go, oh, let's switch back to this cat flashback. And now we can play a couple of scenarios from the fall of the RPD building and that would have a knock-on effect going into the RE3 RP, RP, game, because now suddenly that might mean that if you manage to make the, R, the RPD building hold out for longer against the zombies, there's less zombies when you actually break into it, for example. Or you like if you could drop shutters or board yeah, up windows. Exactly. Yeah, then it, exactly. would, that, it, would play, it would play forward into the actual game. Exactly, yeah. And we thought, really about, cool. we thought about doing the UCB, UBCS and, uh, mercenaries in the same way. Let's drop them in there. And we obviously got a few different diary extracts we could do. Mm. And you could run around and you could do different stuff, you know, 
and you could kind of almost like say, hey, this is the bit where the UCBS like managed to clear, or sorry, UBCS managed to clear out uh, this area of the sea, so it's not as dangerous here as it could be. Or alternatively, they utterly failed to do that, so now it's super dangerous in this area. And we kind of talked about that, and we kind of got some different ideas and bounced them around, but it's something we didn't go forward with in the end. And I think I, I loved it in the sense that it felt like you're giving back to the community, right? Because that immediately fired off so many really cool ideas for the hardcore mm. Resident Evil faithful. But it's also something where I think if you're not a hardcore fan, it's quite a confusing product, how it sits and what it is. Right, and the other yeah. thing we really didn't want to do is we know that, for example, at the point, at the point where we're making our game, we knew that the Resident Evil 2 remake had reinvented some of the way the lore and the world works for Resident, over Resident Evil 2 in terms of the original storyline. We weren't sure where Capcom would be, what Capcom would be doing with Resident Evil 3 in terms of, you know, does it shift the narrative slightly? Are there differences in it? And one of the things we very much didn't want to do is we kind of didn't want to blur the lines too much because you're not only talking about the original game versus the whatever changes were happening in the remake, but now you're talking about something that we would imagine for the original game, which is our own kind of non-canon canon yeah which kind of yeah how does that feed in and it just it was a very it was a slightly confusing product which ultimately would be super cool to make and really really amazing for fans but at the same time i'm not sure would would be would sit well with people who are sort of casual fans of the series mm. but, you know i mean maybe that's something we can explore or go back to at some point if there's interesting demand for it and stuff but um yeah, much like you guys, I am a super fan, and that sort of stuff really made me excited as a concept. But um, it's not something we decided to go with in the end. Yeah, I could say that I'd, I'd want to play the heck out of that. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so let's let's talk about the namesake of Resident Evil 3. Let's talk about Nemesis. Can you explain how he's going to work in the board game? Is he going to be like uh, the T-00 Mr. X Tyrant, or is he going to be completely different? Uh, so we would put an article out about him um, in the uh, literally on Friday last week. But Nemesis is interesting. We looked at the T zero zero tyrant and knew that we wanted a lot of the stuff that the uh, the tyrant is doing, where it chases you around and it kind of um, it's kind of pursuing you. We really liked, and there are other elements where it just wasn't quite relentless enough. And one of the things we wanted to do was make Nemesis say he was more persistent. Uh, and also, of course, Nemesis triggers off of narrative events. So that's another sort of bolted in extra bit. But the thing that really brought Nemesis alive was the extra types of attacks you can do with the special attack system, that revised version of that, whereas I mentioned off earlier. Because that suddenly meant that now we can have Nemesis who can, for example, just chase after you with this sort of lunge punch or it can swing around with kind of a tentacle and lash everybody in range, that sort of stuff. And it lets us do all sorts of different things. Plus, and as I've said in the article, but I'll just underscore it again, Nemesis levels up as the city becomes more dangerous and as the as the campaign goes on. When you first meet Nemesis, he's quite tough and not easy to put down, but it's you know it, it's it's doable. But that's okay because you think, oh okay, I found more strong, I found more powerful weapons now. So suddenly it could be super easy to take on Nemesis. No, it really won't be. Nemesis will be becoming more powerful as you find more powerful weapons. He will level up with you, much like in the sort of. Um, much like in a Final Fantasy game, you're going to go through <laughs> and the enemies are just going to scale up as you do and it won't become any easier as a result. Nice. That's cool. Uh, so staying with Nemesis, a uh, friend of the podcast, Mike Martin, asks once again on Facebook, will Nemesis drop loot boxes? Pretty simple question. 
yeah um and i think that's actually something which you're going to find out about um more or less straight away on the 28th but um nemesis when you defeat nemesis he absolutely will be dropping some items not always but <laughs> it's going to be something where there are rewards for defeating nemesis at crucial moments oh awesome super sweet um so um on characters nikolai was somewhat of a surprising choice for a core character especially um after resident evil 2 and how the kind of bad guy human characters were handled in that Mm. um so how was that decided for over someone else in the game like say uh brad vickers for example and that comes also from brian uh sharkey on facebook so nikolai is i mean if i think back to kind of the core players for uh, the core characters for resident evil 3 nikolai has to be included in there he's one of the mercenaries that you encounter like in terms of the actual playable characters, I, I may be wrong here, but I think they are literally if you include Mad Jackal mode, like the four that we have. Um, it really was something where we didn't really want to break away from that. Like you could include another character um, that's in there, but so many more of the so many of the other characters feel like they have a much smaller role in the game, whereas Nikolai is quite a persistent and quite a bold um, character to put in there. And I think there's also a degree where Nikolai. And this, certainly when you first meet him, there's this element of, okay, so Nikolai's probably not a good guy, but at the same time, he's not an out-and-out enemy. And I think there's a, it's an important distinction to have. Nikolai isn't a bad guy in the sense of, if we use Nemesis as an example, Nemesis is a monster. It's, it's hunting you down. It's trying to kill you. That's what it's doing. Nikolai is very self-motivated. He's very ruthless, and he's extremely cold-blooded. But at the same time, he's not necessarily a monster in the same sense he's just got his own agenda and that does mean that you know you sometimes you have characters who aren't going to have the sort of survival of the group in the top of their you know as their main objective they're trying to achieve but at the same time that is definitely in their interest because it helps keep them alive for longer and i think um there's that and there's also the part of me that says you know what nikolai can deserve a little bit of redemption let's give him a chance (laughs) (laughs) okay so which character slash enemy was the toughest to redesign? Uh, I can't really talk about the one that was toughest. Um, <laughs> just yet. I really can't. But I know we had a lot of fun with the characters, moving them around and sort of different ideas we could do with them. Um, Mikhail was the most fun, I think. Originally, uh, and obviously everyone's seen Mikhail now, so no real spoilers here. Originally, Mikhail had this awesome thing um, where basically when he got ta- when he eventually got killed... He just blew up everything on the same tile. <laughs> um, he just literally took them all with him. Uh, it's called You Lose. And, um, <laughs> and it was awesome. Uh, except for the fact that people in playtesting were just literally running him into a room full of dudes and just blowing up everywhere. And they're going, okay, I'm done. I'm going to sit there and watch the rest play the game now. Like, you can go play the game. You can thank me later for blowing up everybody. And that's fine. And it just wasn't really good gameplay stuff. Um, and it was something where, you know, we've, it, it wasn't, it was awful gameplay as much. It just didn't really encourage us with a core character anyway, that, you know, the best thing you can do for that character is get killed. There wasn't really a direction we wanted to go in. So we kind of had to know if I knew an inventive ways of doing it, which is where the last stand rule came in and the tough rule, uh, which he now has, uh, which kind of built in that way. Nikolai was another one we had, uh, sorry, Nikolai, actually, yeah, Nikolai was another one we had some fun with because we really wanted him to feel ruthless and cold. But at the same time, again, didn't want him to feel like he was just, you know, no one wants to play this character because it's just too 
it's just literally too rough. It just feels like you're on your own and you don't care about any other characters. Uh, Nikolai used to have an ability where he could just execute one of his buddies if they were going to lose mm. the scenario for him. Um, and that was just a bit too cold. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lots of arguments. So. Uh, similar question, which may be hard to answer. Uh, which boss fight did you find to be the hardest to adapt for the board game? From Dave Orse on Facebook. Uh, hmm. Interesting. I think, honestly, the my colleague Fraser did a lot of the dev work on some of the bosses. Um, so that might be almost a question to ask him because I, I wrote a lot of the uh, sort of top level, this is how I feel the boss should move around and how the boss should work and stuff. And then Fraser um, came up with some really interesting sort of mechanics for how they operate and how they attack things and various other stuff. I think, weirdly, the one that the one that is kind of had the most work going to it certainly is Nemesis Stage One, who isn't actually a boss in our game. Nemesis Stage One is obviously the he's technically an enemy that follows you throughout the entire game. But that was the biggest thing we really wanted to get right. So it took a lot of work to kind of focus in on hone in on and try to make work. Whereas the others, because they're more of a static instance where you just have a boss fight, there's not quite so much um that you need to be aware of going under on under the hood, if that makes sense. Mm. So I think yeah. that's probably the best way of describing that. Or answering that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, it was mentioned very slightly by Adam there about um, enemy human characters in RE2 and that kind of thing. Um, will there be any PvP modes in RE3, the board game, like there was previously? I'm afraid not. No oh, PvP at all. Um, so, Sai gives me a difficult question for you. <laughs> Thanks, Sai. Okay. Um, but... But you you haven't shied away from from these sorts of questions, so we're grateful for that. Um, uh, Ventor on Twitter says he loves Resident Evil Two, the board game, uh, and the only real complaint he has is with the materials, which he feels aren't up to par with some other board games. Uh, will you be using sterner materials for tiles and models um, for Resident Evil Three? What other sort of quality of life components have you gone back to look at? So we're pretty much across the board. We're looking at all the different components. Um, very much, you know. Again, heard. We're always with any product we make. We always want to. We are never a company that sort of rests on our laurels. We're never sort of, you know, and all of us individuals as well. We never release the thing and immediately go, okay, that was perfect. We're done. Mm -hmm. That's not really. That's not who we are. We always want to sort of keep pushing things, see what we can do to kind of make things better as possible. And obviously, we've already talked a little bit about tiles. Uh, I won't necessarily go into any of that stuff. But one of the things, models is an interesting example. So one of the things that we heard a bit about, and there was a small number of people, it wasn't lots and lots, but some people were saying, hey, I got my copy of Resident Evil and some of their larger enemies, like the Ivies, for example, or the uh, or the Crocodile, had a warped base. And that's just a thing that happens um, in production. And then actually in transit, where lots of temperature changes happen um, over time, and basically sometimes it causes a base to warp. And that's a really easy thing to fix. Um, you literally just run it under because if the material it is, you can run it under a hot tap uh, for a short period of time, and then the thing will literally just bend into the shape you want it to go in, hold it in place for a moment, and as it dries, basically, uh, sort of cools, it will basically fit into the new sort of shape. But that was still something where we kind of looked at it and went, yeah, like if you're a, if you're in the sort of hobby community, that's something you know of. If you're not, and we were very much aware that a lot of our Resident Evil backers aren't, because um, they're obviously just Resident Evil fans. Um, it's well, just they're Resident Evil fans. Um, it's something where <laughs> I'm, I'm one of you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> um, it, it's something where we do wouldn't want them to kind of really think. 
that that's what they were stuck with because they've just not got necessarily access to channels to know this because believe it or not there's not everybody who backs our game is in the resident evil 2 uh, sorry the resident evil facebook community for example it doesn't check on the steamforge page site all the time so we just wanted it to be something where we looked at how we would achieve that stuff and we kind of land on this point with the larger models saying let's use a different material for the bases that doesn't warp is a really good example of that. So all of the models will use something called ABS bases, uh, which is like a more rigid type of material, a more rigid type of plastic, which doesn't warp under different temperature changes and stuff like that. So you have very small quality of life improvements there. Um, in terms of obviously the detail on the models and so on, since we made Resident Evil 2, we've made, you know, we've gone on to make a whole host of different stuff. God tier being a really good example of this, where we've Got, yeah, we've progressed our sort of tech that we use when we're actually making models to get much, much, much sharper details and get some really amazing results. And the Resident Evil 2 models we're already really happy with because they're something where as soon as you put any paint on them at all, you immediately start seeing the sheer volume of detail going into them. And um, so, yeah, we've, we've kind of kept pushing. We've never stopped with the quality of these bits and pieces. And, you know, the tiles and the bases and all these various different things are all about us looking at this stuff. and you know, moving up to the next level at any given time. So our next question is still a bit on the, I want to say slightly negative slant, but one complaint from RE2, the board game, was the sheer scale and number of boxes if you went all in. Mm. Will there be any alternative story solutions this time around? James uh, Jim Noon on Facebook. I'm not going to say alternative uh, story solutions in the sense that there's not like a big mega box which is designed to hold everything in it. Um, they are going to be uh, just through the way the game works. Some of the slots for the uh, for cards and things might be a bit expanded in the core game, but that wouldn't ever replace the the packaging for your original uh, for your for your original stuff. But we are very conscious that there was some space wasted. Um, is probably the best way of saying it on some of our expansions and other bits and pieces. And there were a lot of extra boxes in RE2, uh, which you know for some people it's worth stressing. They love that stuff, like. Uh, very much. There's a really cool thing when your Kickstarter arrives and there's umpteen amount of boxes in there. And it's amazing, right? There's just so much stuff. It feels cool. But we are very conscious of the footprint of what our game is. And we know that, yeah, there's some wasted space in the other boxes. So we very much will not be doing that again. Uh, we will be keeping boxes to a minimum where we can. Um, and you're going to see that actually once the campaign starts. And it's also going to be something where we've got a very much a much stronger idea of you know of how we want these things to be presented and that a lot of that is going to be condensing things to make it so that it is easier for people to actually have as a collection on their shelf or whatever else or when you actually get your stuff actually sent to you it's not going to be broken up in lots of different places and so on uh, awesome uh, this next question is part of the reason i got into journalism all those years ago <laughs> It's been a long time since anybody has prayed the one true god, the moth from Resident Evil 2. Uh, if you were anticipating a new cult slash religion forming around one of the minor enemies from Resident Evil 3, which one is it? I mean, part of the magic of the moth is that that just blindsided everyone. Kevin, do you want to attempt to uh, tell that story a bit for the people that haven't been around since the, the Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, I, I really, I, I strongly recommend. Um, it's one of the most entertaining things you can ever see. It, it's almost worth that. It's almost like that cult episode of a sitcom or something or other, like the, <laughs> like the moth. So but going back to the RE2 game, and uh, I'm designing it, and I'm developing it, and I'm working on this thing, and 
I remember very specifically talking down, to, uh, sitting down to talk to a guy called Rich Loxham, who's our uh, our managing director, and he's saying to me, "Hey, show and so so what enemies have we got in this game?" And I kind of reel them off and I tell him everything. He's like, "Is that everything in the game?" It sounds like a lot. I'm like, "It's everything except for the moth." Like, and he's like, "The moth?" I'm like, "Yeah, don't don't even ask. The moth is a weird thing. It almost feels like it was made by like the work experience kid or something." It's just <laughs> like, it, it, like you, it, it's a it's an enemy that go you go into the room. It's hanging on a wall, just watching you hanging out. And you can run over to the terminal and you can use the terminal in that room, which is the only reason you go in there. And the moth just hangs on the wall, watches you do it, and then you run out and the moth kind of high fives you on the way out. And <laughs> you, just don't, you, you just don't interact with it at all if you don't want to. And it's not even, and it's even like an optional room. You don't even need to go in that room to do anything. And he's like, well, what happens if you go close? I'm like, do you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, it doesn't really do much. It kind of flops about on the ground and sort of wanders around a bit, looking confused, and then that's it. I was like, okay, well, fair enough. So, and then obviously, once we started unlocking different stretch goals and things on the RE2 game and the Kickstarter, it kind of kept on because it was the only thing that wasn't listed and it wasn't obvious. Everyone started talking about the moth. And I originally mean everybody. Everyone went moth crazy. <laughs> and every, praise single the day moth. Was, every single day, everyone's like, praise the moth. Where's the moth? Where's the moth? And we're kind of constantly going, I don't know. And it got literally to about halfway through the campaign, and Rich just looks at me, he kind of goes, he's like, Sure, we've got to make a moth. Like we've got to make it. And they're like, everyone wants this thing. It's a community driven thing. Everyone wants the moth. I'm like, okay. So I, I jump on a call with Russ, our sculptor at the time. Yeah, he's, he's uh, he was our sculptor at the time. By the end of the project, there's more of him. There's more of them. But I kind of sat with him I'm like, Russ, we need to make a moth. He's like, okay. So what does it look like? I'm like, well, imagine an actual moth, but really big, and its wings are so small it could never fly. And he's like that sounds weird i'm like here's a picture of it and he kind of looked at it and went all right i'll make that then and that's exactly what we did and then i basically had this really weird job of of going and starting a copy of a game of resident evil 2 blasting through to get to the labs and then i just ran leon into the moth to see what would happen to see what it actually did <laughs> see how it attacked me <laughs> so i'm standing there and i'm thinking so i've literally put the controller down i've walked away from it i'm watching the moth wander around looking like i've just interrupted his day and it wants to run up and I'm <laughs> go back on its wall and in the end i ended up looking at gun survivor for different animations for what the moth was doing because it really isn't doing anything much in the game and um but yeah it's, it's something where we actually added that in as a community driven thing because it was something where i didn't think anyone would really care too much for it because it is a very yeah it's not an enemy that you know really is terribly exciting or terribly challenging and it didn't make it into the RE2 remake. I, I wonder why. <laughs> and, um, and it's just a weird, it's just a very weird thing. And uh, I don't think it would be there. But because it was something where we just didn't talk about it, because we well, didn't have one, and because it was something where it was the odd one out of enemies, um, it just got added in. Like people just got really excited about it. <laughs> um, if uh... we were to make, if we were to make an RE1 game, I guarantee it would be the bees. Uh, for example, <laughs> so it's that. It's literally that. Um, so I don't know though. For RE3, the like, the real question I think, Sherwin, is if you better not have missed any part of Resident Evil Three, <laughs> because what, whatever part you've missed will be the moth. Right, the uh, moth yeah, was yeah. a barrage you, of memes. I worry. Uh, I worry if Dario Rosso's not in there, that's going to be praised, <laughs> Dario. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, I think the honest answer to that, and I, I've, I have a fear of what I know what it is as well. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be, although we've got cards that represent this, right? So maybe not. But I think people are going to want the, um, 
Joe at the start of the game, literally right at the start of the game, after Jill has inexplicably dived out of an exploding building, and then you kind of go and hang out with Dario for a bit, and you know he does his he does his bro stuff, and you know decides he wants to live in a where in a container for the rest of his life. <laughs> um, you kind of run out into the streets, and depending on what the RNG and the order in which you go around, you can actually find like a girl who runs away and sort of screams, and then gets eaten by zombies. Um, I remember yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have a horrible feeling that's the thing. Now we have cards to replicate <laughs> that, so it's not like you can't meet that girl. But I guarantee someone somewhere is going to want a model and right. going to want <laughs> See, to introduce that. I'm going to stoke. Thing. I'm going to stoke some fires here. So, yeah. Um, I think oh yeah, is... let's all do our guess of what we think it is. <laughs> yeah, please do. I'm happy I'll... to throw that out to you. I think it's in Mad Jackal. You can like save civilians, right, in the game, in the video yeah. game. Yeah. So being, one of those being nobly one of them, mm-hmm. and one of the other civilians is Aquacure Girl, the girl from the advertisement <laughs> uh, from the <laughs> Resident Evil in the Umbrella Office uh, sales office. Um, yep. So I'm going to start my campaign for for Aquacure Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is going to be Regina's outfit, Dino Crisis. <laughs> I don't know if you've got it in there, but if not, that's what people are going to be clamoring for. Yeah, I know. Uh, I um, unfortunately, I can. I'm going to have to cut you shy on that one. There will be no Regina outfit. Oh, um, I quit. Well, get I'm ready out. for a lot of requests. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 trust me, I'm one of the people requesting it. But no, mm. it, I can. Unfortunately enough, that will not be part part of this campaign. I'm and doubling that, down I on Dario. I'm assuming the Regina thing is probably licensing, even though it was in the game. Maybe it's like something they don't want mm. to bring mm. back because of the timing. You mm. know, Dino Crisis was definitely, you know, way back there. So yeah, that's mm. okay. My pitch, because I'm sticking with the moth and it being an enemy that was overlooked and kind of rubbish. Yeah, was sliding worms. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Nice, that's fair. You could there. actually play through a game and not see them too. Yeah, very I mean, easily. Pointless. Right, completely yeah. pointless. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going Dario, like Church of Dario, all day. <laughs> Church, Church of Dario, Dario. Yeah, or next great American author. Yeah, or, or yeah, or Dario Sleeve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I think the container, can... the container that Dario ends up in. <laughs> yeah, I want there that. it is. Dario's home. container model. Yeah. I want that as a tile. Okay. <laughs> we all know that the the correct answer is praise of the frog boy. It's Hunter Gamma. That's frog that's boy. Like, <laughs> I, I, love the fro- I love the frog boy. I, really I know. Do. Yeah. Oh, and because because of the new system of enemy attacks, he can eat you. Yep. Right. God. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> terrified all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. When that car comes up, run. Just run. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, uh, that is, that'll do it for the Q&A. Um, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Hopefully we got through uh, the vast majority of them that we could uh, show, and thank you for being here to answer any of those. I don't know if you've got any closing thoughts things you want to say to the community at all. Or anything uh, you want to plug. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a Kickstarter coming um, <laughs> on the 28th of April. 28th of April, daylight. Um, exactly. No, in, in all seriousness, the be- the biggest thing I can possibly say to the community at large is you guys are amazing. Um, and I say that genuinely because you've greeted the announcement of the RE3 game with so much enthusiasm and so much positivity. And, you know, in terms of people, you know, getting into RE2 and they're just sort of coming into this now and they're really meeting you all and finding that you're such a wonderful bunch of people. 
um, and you're being really helpful to them and making them feel like part of the crew because it really is one of my favorite communities. Um, it's something where um, in terms of your enthusiasm, the hype build and so many ideas flying around, it's really cool. And yeah, like I've, I've just, I can't say enough to the community how thankful we are, all of us. We all talk about it all the time that we are blessed enough to have a community like you guys. You're amazing. Um, so, and I hope on the 28th we are going to present something. I'm sure we are. Like, RE3 is really, really, really exciting. Um, if you liked RE2, then this will blow your mind, trust me. And, um, yeah, I, I really can't wait for you guys to sit down and play and see what the game is doing. And um, I think you're going to be really, really impressed. So thank you so much for all your enthusiasm and hype. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to chatting to you in the coming week, or coming weeks, I should say. And uh, I hope I'm going to see all of you on the 28th. Awesome. Yeah, I think it. I think I would speak for all of us when I say we are basically counting down the days now with you uh, mm. until April 28th when the Kickstarter launches. For those of you listening at home, do make sure you follow Steamforged on social media so you are made aware of that when it pings up or, like I say, you can follow the actual Kickstarter now so that it will notify you when that goes up live. Um, and we've mentioned a few times the Facebook community group. I'll put the link of that in the description. If you're not in there yet, now's a great time to join it as we start to build this momentum up towards the Kickstarter as well. Um, and that was such a terrific thing to be a part of in the beginning and, and up to today, which has you know, been several years now. Um, there'll be lots of people in there that haven't necessarily heard any previous discussions we've had before. So you guys should go back and check out episode six of the First Day Spray podcast where we talked about Resident Evil 2, the board game, after its release as well, if you want some uh, some extra content to tide you over. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, if you're in the community group, we look forward to talking with all of you guys and uh, yeah, sharing that excitement. This whole panel here is part of that community group. As I said, most of us are sort of the admin of that kind of stuff. And if you're a general Resident Evil fan, please do check out all the rest of our content uh, as well. We talk about everything and anything and everything from the Zeros. So nothing else remains for me but to thank our Patreons. Uh, you can join our Discord server where you can discuss Resident Evil, the video game, and the board game, and everything else with us and other fans. And listen to the main show that we do live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at FA Spray Pod, on Instagram at FA Spray Pod, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash FA Spray Pod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow us all individually on Twitter. I'm at Saniac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at Firebutton Games. Adam is advicas zero one. Showin is at Showin's Agenda. And Mike is at It's Burger Time. And finally, thank you all for listening and have a good week. We're also extremely humbled that you included first aid sprays in the game. You know, first aid sprays in the game. Uh, you need them by the time you get to the end. Oh, goody. Um,
Well, I was going to say one thing, actually. This is getting really nerdy now. But, like, if you had pulled off the scenarios that you were talking about, the sort of, like, prequel scenarios... With, you, oh, you my God, it'd be so fucking cool, right? Right, but you mentioned Elliot so, Edward. so good. You, uh, here's uh, the thing, right? If You, you mentioned Elliot Edward and David Ford. One of those guys has never had a face. So if you'd have done that, the, the right. artist's drawing of that character would have been immortalised forever in the community as, as right. one possible look. And that's insane to think about. Uh, the thing would be, and this is so, I was really excited about this um, because I realised I would be writing canon for for Resident <laughs> Evil. By yeah. Doing this. Oh yeah. Crap. And that was. Let me just up the wiki. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was insanely exciting uh, the prospect of doing that. But seriously, try imagine imagine for a moment like you're a hardcore Resident Evil fan and you're trying to make a business case pitch. Right. That uh, you're basically you're already in a make-believe universe, and now you're make-believing, <laughs> make-believe stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, no, but people are totally going to buy this. Like, people yeah. like you or actual people, and I'm like, oh no, everyone's going to buy all this. Like, <laughs> trying, to, trying to pitch your own fan fiction there. Yeah, and you're <laughs> yeah. Going, 